Hello and welcome back to Points of Information, the Debaters Association of Victoria's podcast aimed at our school's competition, Debaters, where we discuss all things debate-related. This week, this being August of 2020, we are recording from home as well as debating and adjudicating from home, and we're going to this month go through some tips of how to prepare your secret topics from home as well as recapping how our round three debates went. So as always I've assembled a crack team of experienced adjudicators to discuss some of these topics. First up we have a returning voice, Elmira. Hello, I'm Elmira, as has just been said like twice. I'm also the DAV General Secretary and may recognize me from all the various regions that I frequent. Now you would have, various you would, regions. Yes. <laughs> now, now online regions, you would have to be one of our most active adjudicators. Next up, we have a new voice to the podcast, that of Louisa Romeo. Hello, Louisa. Hi, Alex. Thanks, everybody. My name is Louisa. I am an adjudicator, obviously, for the Debaters Association. No surprise there. I'm in my fourth year of adjudicating, and I just realised a couple of days ago that if I include the years I spent before I was, before I was an adjudicator as a debater, I've been involved in the competition for 10 years. So that's kind of scary, but thanks for welcoming me. Oh, that is a very scary thought. Uh, Louisa is. is also one of the general... Yeah, executive members on our executive committee. Finally, we have, I'm not sure how best to introduce you, Jackie, like just a senior expert. What, what's your call to fame? You're a qualified <laughs> I trainer? I have a call to fame. I was briefly the Williamstown region coordinator for one region before Ooh. we got shut down. <laughs> I was looking forward to that, though, because well, Williamstown's a difficult forfeit. region. You need someone with a lot of, like, oomph to whip it into shape, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I think I called so many forfeits that night. It was like literally the next day or something was when uh, everything shut down. So it was one of the last ones to go. And that was just a crazy day. <laughs> it was a crazy month. That Anyway. Oh, well, Louisa said it was scary. She's been 10 years. I might have to beat that. Uh, I've been adjudicating for six years now. And so I guess if I add my school days, that's a really long time. But you'll mainly see me around the western suburbs. Oh, yay, another western <laughs> contributor. Yeah. So round three, obviously, we are up to. We have just finished. We're now in the middle of round four, actually. But because round four is basically all secret topics, unless you're degrade, we're not going to go through some of those topics because that's going to attract the ire of some of the uh, shall we say, people responsible for secret topics. So we're going to stick with the topics that have now finished, that have run their course, starting with D-grade. Now, if you were in D-grade and debating in round three, you would have been going for the topic that we should lift the ban on Russian athletes participating in international sporting events. Okay. Who saw this one, or how many times did you see this one, and what did you think of it? I'll just say I've never seen this one, so I'm really curious to know what happened because it sounds so cool. Likewise. It was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as cool. I, I nearly didn't see it. I can't remember if this was the one where another adjudicator internet dropped out and I got a phone call. Hey, can you quickly take this? We're waiting from, you know, some other adjudicator to hear back from Telstra. 
It's an interesting topic. I remember one of the other ones that I've heard through the years that focuses on international relations. And the best example that came up that really made me laugh was about pandas and how China would like take away their pandas from zoos in Australia if we like put this sanction on them. Um, and it was just a really fun example of the power of pandas. And then the negative team came around and said, they'll do the same with the kangaroos. We can retaliate. And it just <laughs> made me laugh. Gosh. <laughs> this um no the debates I saw focus less on, on international relations and more on the taint everyone with the same brush. So you'd have the affirmative team saying the actions of a select few teams in Russia should not disqualify you know individually competing uh, Russian athletes that weren't involved in the scandal, uh, and the negative team taking them all. You know, we we have to ensure the safety of the sport. We have to ensure the fairness of the sport, and we have to ensure the legality of the sport. So we can, we have to take a hardline stance here. We can't allow anyone. We must be you know denouncing doping. So that was the take I saw. It was a very it was less international relations and more rights of the individual versus the safety of society at large. I guess. Which was very high level, I, I think, compared to some of the other debate topics I've seen. I shouldn't be too surprised because as a prepared topic, it's easier to get to that high level compared to some of the secret topics. But it's always, it's always nice to see something that's well argued like that. I think the rights of the individual versus the rights of the collective is such a um, such a pertinent example for so many debates. I think it's one of those almost key themes you can bring back to probably fifty percent of debates in existence. I think we're overdue for a podcast episode on first principles mm. on that note. <laughs> there are certainly a few teams that could use them, especially as we've gone into secret topics. First principles makes some of the difficult stuff about team splits and finding where the arguments are in secret topics really easy. And a lot of teams still seem to be struggling with that. So I think it might be worth going over that. I know a lot of speakers ask me in secret topics, oh, you know, how can we improve? specifically in secret topics and my response is normally just well what did you find the most difficult and it normally seems to be uh finding you know good arguments because we couldn't come up with great stuff although that has changed and i think we will talk about that later although speaking of secret topics pardon me this is not a secret topic though but an advised topic it's a type of unseen topic and that is for c grade it was advised that it would be on social media we had a few different variations on the same topic. So if you were in C grade, you would have heard something along the lines of that social media does more harm than good, that children under the age of 16 should be banned from social media, or that there should be no age requirement for social media. I'm not sure if there was a fourth topic in circulation. Those are the only three that I'm aware of. How did we think the C grade teams, this being their first unseen topic, approached this topic or this uh, category of topics on social media? This was a really good advised area for them, especially because social media is just so relevant to their lives. So it was really good to see a variety of arguments from both teams. I think the one thing that I would advise all teams, especially affirmative teams, to be wary of is in topics like this, to not get too caught up in having like a really detailed model. I agree with you there. Yeah. So even just recently, perhaps because, you know, it's online and you can actually access more resources or you have more time to sit down and research than you did before, there have been 
heaps of models that I've seen be super nitty gritty about, you know, exactly how we're going to give people under the age of 13 access, you know, giving websites IDs, implementing new algorithms to prevent addiction, just so many elements within a model that would actually And it's not be... really related to the topic. Yeah, exactly. And if they felt like, you know, practicality was a really important component, it might be better to actually expand and flesh out those things and arguments rather than to have them at the very beginning and then sort of forget about those intricacies. But, yeah. I like using the magic wand approach when I come into things like this. And it's sort of in the same way how we tell people when we're talking about that we should change this law. We don't need a model of, okay, a law is changed by, you know, a, a bill is introduced to parliament. It needs a, we, you know, and then this many members must vote on it. Yes, it's, it, it's technically correct. But in, in debates, we just assume that it passes. We don't argue the nuances of whether some political party is going to, you know, contest it in some way or another. Just just pretend the bill goes through. In the same way, this is sort of a case where we just wave our magic wands and suddenly people under the age of 16 don't use social media. Don't get bogged down in the details. Instead, you should be arguing about is this a good idea at all rather than, you know, how on earth can you ID someone online? Yeah, yeah, especially because... When we assign topics that, you know, might in the real world have some really technical aspect to them, we don't expect grade 9, grade 10, anyone in high school really to be able to break down those nitty-gritty things or to have expertise in coding or anything like that. So really when you have about five minutes, five to six minutes to give a speech, the most important thing you want to give to your audience is the pros and the cons of just making that thing a reality rather than the difficulties of implementing that system. But I guess sometimes it's important to also talk about the implementation and the logistical side of it because that can actually be a very strong argument in some debate. So I don't think it's wise to always do one or the other, but I think definitely if it's a real barrier to I think Something the distinction working. is when, like, for example, if you're the negative team, if the practicality is a significant drawback, then that could be an argument. But Yeah, exactly. I, I think the better way of saying is if it's not a really big issue, then don't waste your time talking about it. Instead, you should be focusing on other more persuasive arguments. So really consider the practicality as an argument and compare it to the arguments you you already have, and half the time you will find that you just won't get around to practicality because you're going to have five or six other arguments and you definitely don't have time for all of them. So it's just focus on the big fry. But, yes, you are right. There are certainly cases where the practicality itself would be one of your main arguments. And to that as well, it's if you're going to bring in a model, it needs to be relevant and it needs to link to your points. There's, I've heard so many debates where I get this elaborate model at first speaker and I never hear about it again. And it's just like, oh, where did this go? Like what was the point of this one minute that you took to explain this when it hasn't linked throughout your debates or made it sound like your team agrees with you on your model? So if you're going to introduce one, whether or not it's a, a – really elaborate one that probably shouldn't have been so um, big or if it's a simple one that's just framing the debate, um, it still needs to be relatable throughout your speech. A few other points of rules. I'm not sure how many 
how often this is a problem or how often you guys hear teams do this. But for one of the SIGRO teams I heard under, under the topic that children under the age of 16 should be banned from social media, the first affirmative speaker provided a, I would say, reasonable definition and then went on to provide a model whereby if students have the consent of their parents, they are allowed to use social media, which somewhat undermines the entire topic and the entire negative team's speech. So don't do that. If the topic is saying children under the age of 16 should not be allowed to use social media, you can't then as the affirmative team say, oh, but wait, they can actually use social media. That's really taking the soft line there. And I love to caution people about this so much because it means that the scope of your debate shrinks incredibly and you end up agreeing with the same thing on the affirmative and negative. You've got no space to argue if you don't take at least a little bit more well, of a hard line. Essentially what happens is the entire affirmative, you've basically changed the entire debate topic from that children under the age of 16 should be banned from social media to children under the age of 16 requires parental consent to use social media, which is not the same topic, which means we are marking you down for debating a different topic. That's the big danger there. That's what I see teams fail at the most. I think it's always a question of being reasonable. You know, are you being reasonable with this model or definition to the other team? And I think because once you try and get to you know, too cheeky or try and subvert the topic a bit, that's when it becomes an unfair, imbalanced debate. And it really doesn't give you any advantage as well because it ends up that both teams have prepared completely different debates, how they're thinking it's going to go. And then in rebuttals, I see time and time again that people don't listen or respond to each other in the way that they've you know, stated the debate. And so you end up just not engaging. And that's really hard to adjudicate when each team is being really headstrong in what they think the debate topic should be because they've altered it in some way and it just doesn't cross over. The most practical advice for that I can say is if you are a third speaker and you are using pre-prepared rebuttals, you need to learn to not do that. <laughs> it is hard. I will acknowledge that. But the quality of your rebuttals will increase substantially if you stop pre-preparing your rebuttals. I think pre-prepared rebuttals, are a, they're a great research and preparation tool, but just yes. using them as your final and product, that's the bad no. thing. Yes. It is very important to, I guess, war game and try and predict what the other team is going to do. But you are never going to know exactly what the other team is going to do, and the result is you're just going to prepare something that's similar but not exactly the same and then it won't engage properly and you're going to get marked down for method. And on rebuttals, if you're if online topic and you can like search and Google throughout the debate, I would highly recommend against doing that. I can kind of tell if you throw out a random example that I wouldn't expect you to know or a quote. And it's much better to listen and make them really relevant rebuttals than having if you want them to be super sophisticated and sounding amazing, it's much better to actually get the point and the relevance across. That isn't to say that third speakers or any speaker who's doing rebuttal shouldn't do some sort of preparation. But I guess what we're sort of trying to steer our speakers away from is to have a word by word rebuttal prepared, but definitely have a good idea of why your team values what you value and, and what that valuing is like what are you valuing in your team against something else like in contrast to something else and you knowing your team's material really well and why you've chosen the arguments you've chosen 
um, will ultimately make rebuttal like easier for you when it's time. Absolutely. Yeah, I think pre-prepared rebuttals are a great practice tool and a learning tool, but I think you need to be able to accept that at least nine times out of 10, they're not going to be completely relevant to the actual debate. So be prepared to throw them out the window and that's okay. Be prepared to tweak. (laughs) (laughs) That's a much more diplomatic thing than throw them out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I guess even just acknowledging sometimes it's very easy um, going back to this idea of soft lines or pre-preparing rebuttal that kind of says, well, everything is possible and we can fix everything on our side and that really soft response to the other team. I think a lot of speakers fall into that trap because they want their side to just be the ideal thing um, and they feel like if they can give all the benefits, like all of them, then that that their case will win. But I think the point of debating is that no side will have all the benefits. So what's more advantageous for you is to know really well what the benefits of your side are rather than trying to make it so that your side magically has all the answers when it doesn't. That's exactly right. And there's also if the affirmative team, for example, presents an outlandish, crazy definition and model, try to use the even if strategy, even if they're correct. It is still inherently incorrect for ABC. Rujinika will love you if you do that. Exactly. We do. (laughs) Yes, it it does make it easy when you spell it out for us, especially good signposting. I love a speaker that does good signposting. I can just go, yep, right, there's their points, yep. Makes it very easy to structure my notes and you get a better feedback component of the adjudication at the end. Well worth the effort for everyone. Yeah, exactly. I think it, I think it's hard for a debater to understand why adjudicators care so much about signposting, but to put it down to its most practical sense, it just makes it easier for us to get everything you're saying in our heads and down on paper. And not just the adjudicators, the audience too. There's been a few times where I've been watching a debate, but I, not in a capacity as an adjudicator. So even not having to need to take notes, and it still even then makes it a lot easier to follow. Nearly because I wasn't taking notes, because I didn't need to, because I couldn't like just look down at my notes and see what you're talking about, makes it a lot clearer for your audience to understand where we are in the speech. And this is why in podcast after podcast after podcast, we still reiterate this because there are still speakers that don't do it and you lose marks and it's such an easy thing to do. Exactly. Yeah, and it's important to remember that signposting isn't purely the words that you say before you begin your paragraph. Something that can assist transitions in speech can also be visual and can also be in the way that you're using your tone. You know, if you're giving that pause to let the argument that you've just finished breathe, even those things can help move your audience along your speech. I mean, I didn't see this topic, but I think my biggest piece of advice with the sound of the topics is not converting this into is social media good or bad? That wasn't the topic. <laughs> no, and it's, it's also do. a stupid topic. You'll never see it as a topic. It's just like saying, you know, are Australians good or bad? Well, you know, some win Australia, Australian of the year and some are in jail. So, you know, yeah. go work that <laughs> one out. So... I've never heard of that anecdote. I never would have thought of doing that. (laughs) Yeah, so with topics where we're deciding things on minimum age, uh, whether we should restrict usage, et cetera, et cetera, it's not always specifically about the properties of 
social media or whatever thing is in place there in the topic. Um, it more about how we think it should be used and who we think should have access to it and why we feel that way. Being a bit more general, because I know some of the social media topics weren't about age, for instance, that social media does more harm than good. The the big issue with teams that are new to secret topics that I guess the C-grade teams should be aware of is number one, structure. This seems to be the big one, I guess. Teams don't spend as much time working on the team split. They spend too much time writing out their arguments or sometimes word for word, which isn't great. I think we've iterated many times how you should be going to dot points, but if you're not ready for that, that's fine. Just know that that's where you should be moving towards as a goal to work towards in your oncoming debates. Number one, you should be working on your structure and on your team split. Number two is if you are a third speaker, you should be moving away from pre-prepared rebuttals. And number three, you need to make sure that you are arguing what the topic says not what you want the topic to say. One of the easiest ways to prepare for for secret topics is to do things like hot spotting. So you, if you ha- give a, give your third speaker a debate, the first and second speakers a topic and some arguments, and then get them to rebut with like one minute preparation. Those sorts of little, completely low risk things inside a team can make it so much easier. And once you've done five, ten secret topic debates just on your own as a team, which sounds scary but doable every secret will be ridiculously easy after that. And practice your team splits um, and like point organization when you're planning an essay, like plan them as dot points and how you'd read your speech and what comes first and what should go first speaker, what should go second speaker. And then your essays for English class should follow the exact same structure really. Gotta love teal. <laughs> oh, I did peer. What's that? Same thing. Uh, point, explanation, example, relate. Oh. I thought that was like P-I-E-R and I was trying to work out what it was. <laughs> um, so A and B grades were obviously secret topics. Did you have any interesting or noteworthy uh, topics from A or B grade in round three? There's one I know that a lot of teams did end up debate. I, there were at least 10 or 11 teams in this round that I know of was that protests do more harm than good. Uh, yes. <laughs> Someone's heard that one before. <laughs> I got one that was that we should introduce a fixed retirement age for world leaders. Yes. I, I saw that one on the sheet, but I did not adjudicate that one. All right, let's go through these one by one because there's there's a lot more topics than just two, so we're going to have to be brief here. Elmira, what did you like about the protests topic? Well, I liked that both teams were clearly quite well researched, and I think in their own you know, if I was just assessing, you know, both teams' take on protests and what they thought about it, I definitely saw developed ideas and good expansion. But I think when brought together, it became quite a definitional debate. And I feel like both teams needed to better compare the context in which they were coming from and compare that to the other side. So I had one team sort of define protests as, you know, purely when people get together and only like verbally walk through the streets to get a point across. And the other team was more focusing on the fact that, yes, that was a part of protesting, but they also associated protests to something that inevitably became violent, something more like 
yeah, disrupting of everyday life and that could actually, you know, upset people. Yeah, they- I, had, I had the exact same thing. I had the affirmative define it as what we would think marching in the streets, violent or nonviolent, they didn't touch on that. And then the negative team started talking, um, redefined the topic to be, you know, to, to have any objection to something like you could have an online protest which I understand when we're in social isolation, the prospect of that might be an interesting take on such a topic. But with, I guess, some of the arguments that were raised, it did place both teams at a significant disadvantage because they weren't really able to reconcile these two vastly different forms of protest with each other. Yeah. So I Which think- comes back to what we were talking about in C grade, debate the topic, not what you want the topic to be. <laughs> yeah, and when... Comes the time you were in the debate and the other team is presenting a world and a context that looks completely different to yours. You sort of need to be really flexible in your approach. You sort of need to kind of be like, okay, well, I need to edit my material and it might not be the very clean material that I rehearsed, but it's going to be material that's more relevant. Or I'm going to need going to need to cut down my material and focus a lot more on rebuttal. And even though my arguments might be from, you know, my own context, the rebuttal still needs to be addressing the world that they're coming from and comparing the pros and cons of the arguments that they've presented. So I think a lot of the times I've in secret topics, um, even in this topic, they sort of discredited all the arguments of the other team because they weren't coming from the same definition. And that's never strong because it means that you're not actually giving a full argument. You're just kind of saying, well, no, you're wrong because our definition is right and your argument doesn't suit our definition. Okay, what were some of the other topics we heard and what did we think of them? I heard um, that we should introduce a fixed retirement age for world leaders. I think the biggest pitfall that I saw in this one was um, the desire to debate examples. I heard a lot about Donald Trump (laughs) and then I heard a lot about Jacinta Ardern and I didn't get focusing on the principles of the topic. We just had examples thrown back and forth at each speaker and different examples. I just picked those two um, because they were the memorable ones on like both sides of the debate. And I feel like this missed out the opportunity to give those um, more principled arguments, the ideas behind it, the mechanisms, because everyone can throw an example and then just throw another example against that and then against that and against that. And it doesn't There's actually There's always another anywhere. example, yeah. Exactly. It, it, just bec- it, it's, it becomes essentially a case of who's got the best example. And that's never strong because any good, well-reasoned argument should trump that any time. No yeah, pun intended. Yeah. I feel like our speakers are just so eager to kind of show the audience that, you know, I've researched, I've put in the time, I've got so many examples. And that's great. I think that's a big problem, actually, personally. Yeah, it is. It is kind of less persuasive, but I think the intention of it is really good. Like just the fact that our speakers are showing us that they've actually in a lot of time well they've put in a lot of time remember this is secret topics they've only they haven't put in more than an hour of time but it's a lot more effort to google and you know look and find example and read through things and i would find that more stressful than spending time to actually think about my arguments yeah Um, i I think there is yes (laughs) 
Okay, I was going to say, I think um, I've noticed a big shift in secret topics ever since they've gone online, that they're starting to become almost like any other topic, that they ha- there's so much research and it's all stats. And I think people are forget have been using that privilege to have the internet, obviously, but forgetting that arguments are still more important than any example you can give. Exactly. And I, I will mention, of the secret topics I've seen thus far, the best ones have been ones that did not introduce in a massive way any sort of online research obviously they all did to some extent but the ones that relied on it more didn't tend to do as well and something that is that secret topics remain i'll say research free in terms of you know no online access for as long as possible because first of all it shouldn't be necessary the topics we set for secret topics shouldn't need extensive research in order to be one like a prepared topic would be and also because the whole point of debating isn't, it's, it's not science. We're not coming in with our theories and trying to work out who is canonically correct. A lot of these topics don't have correct answers, really. That's why they are debate topics, not, oh, let's see which, you know, test we can apply that's going to give us the, you know, we can condense this team's argument down to these numbers and that team's argument down to that numbers. Oh, and look, our team has got the highest number of return on investment for this new project. So therefore ours is better because it's financially the more reasonable idea. None of the debate topics are like that. None of the debate topics are clear in that way, but a lot of teams treat them as if they are and try to evidence the hell out of them. And that's, I think, where the teams that are spending too much time researching fall apart. Because as mentioned, research is hard and it takes up a lot of time and it's very easy to lose track of that and not focus enough time on the stuff that matters more, the main arguments and the structure of your speech. Whereas the teams that don't spend as much time researching have the better arguments because they understand that there's no correct answer and instead it comes down to, well, we think this is a better answer than the other teams because of these reasons. And they're able to argue some of the more intrinsic parts of their case rather than, oh, this is set in stone part, which don't tend to be as broad as the more holistic arguments are. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Cool, Elmira. I think you raise a really valid and important point in what you've just said that Regardless of whether resources, you know, whether you can or can't use digital resources to research during that secret topic preparation hour, but your time allocation is really important. So we advise that, you know, you spend a certain amount of time on brainstorming, on you know, collating your ideas on actually and then spend less time on writing and that's the same with secret topics with research right if you're spending like 40 minutes researching that's like too much of your time because you need to have quality brainstorming with your team and quality discussion that being said though i also think that in lieu of this change of rule you know now that we can use digital devices during preparation hour it's a really good opportunity to practice filtering your examples and processing the research that you've done. So making sure that, yes, do the research, have examples, but be really nitpicky with the ones that end up in your speech and be really certain of why you've chosen them and what they actually say about the topic. Could I interject here? Yeah. Choose one, 
really good example because if you are the team whose argument was just five examples, example after example, that's not persuasive. For me as an adjudicator with my very critical hat on all the time, I look at that or rather I listen to that and go, wow, you have got a very nice collection of examples there. And that is persuasive because? Whereas if you have one example, you have to do the work to make it persuasive. I just want to add one more thing to this secret topic preparation is that I think secret topics, all the research the community can do is all going towards your matter mainly. But I find that secret topics that I find really persuasive are ones where people actually get to show me their style of debating and their manner. It's an opportunity to show off your style um, when you maybe don't know things as well and don't have all the material that you'd like to have. Really focusing on making your manner really strong um, can go a long way when you don't have all the facts to back it up. And I just wanted to say also that in all fairness to our debaters, I think the secret topics this year, because of our external situation, have been, I think, a step up than regular secret topics. So they have been harder. I think probably change probably to compensate for the fact that there will be some research. So I think it isn't as simple as in the old in the olden days. I feel like I'm eighty by saying that <laughs> mate, last year. Um, it isn't as simple as it was to just say everything off the cuff. So the topics have been much more challenging. But even automatically when you know that you have like the world at your fingertips by the internet, you automatically might assess the topic to be tricky. That makes sense. Whereas like Ah uh, yes. Does that make sense? Like where without the internet, you're sitting down with the team and you're like, okay, well they couldn't have given us this topic if we needed to research for it. So it must be doable, you know? Did I just confuse you? <laughs> no, no, I think I understand where you're going. And the thing that pops into my mind from that is the trap that I'm starting to see some teams fall into when they've only got an hour. And I, I, I would imagine that there'd be some amount of, I guess, stress when they are preparing and, you know, when you've got that time limit, that box just constantly ticking down on you until D-Day, D-Hour, D-Minute when you have to present. There's, I, I seem to see this thing with some of the secret topics where the topics are relevant. They're an, a current affair of some reason or another. I know I got one that was related to a very recent issue. It's, I won't announce it just in case it gets used again because it is a round four topic, but it was very relevant to some of the current goings on in the United States. And as thus, there was a lot of coverage on it, a lot of news websites debating very issues of this main issue. And of course, it was a topic. But the topic was slightly different than what the news was talking about. Again, it was that debate, the actual topic, not the topic you want to be debating. I heard two teams that got carried away and talked about what the news was talking about rather than what the topic was asking for, which were related, very related, just like the social media topics were related, but not the same topic. And I think that also comes into a bit of now that we have the research available to us, we're doing all these extra steps and sometimes it can be harmful, as Elmira, I think you were alluding to. I think it's also harder to do the preparation online. So it's easier to 
Google things by yourself, but being able to talk to your teammates and really flesh out those points might be a lot harder to do when you're not in the same room and you can't like look at something together and scribble down ideas on a whiteboard, for example. Um, so trying to replicate those in-person things um, online isn't always super easy. So I think that that tends itself as well to preparing individually rather than talking to each other together. So I guess the important first step still is to just make sure with your team despite it being more difficult online, that you all agree what the topic is about and agree what you think is most important in regards to whether you're affirmative or negative. I don't have time to do it now, but if you look back through our podcast episode archive, we have done podcast episodes on how to prepare for a secret topic. None of them included research. I will concede that. But especially as a lot of our critique of some of the teams we have seen has been related to the structure element and the manner element, I would say that really not much has changed in the advice we would give you because that part of the preparation has not changed. So do have a look back to our previous episodes. We have talked about that. I believe we even did an episode with uh, JB and Izzy, if you remember that one, where we mock prepared for a topic live on the podcast maybe we should do that again with research oh, added yes i remember that i think having an element of research added would be quite interesting i will keep that in mind for the next episode i'd also like to go back to something that you said earlier um elmira about how there's teams that are distinguishing themselves or differentiating themselves on the manner front which with a little story, I, I would really love to take this photo and show it to, you know, put it up on our website or something and say, this is how to do it. Unfortunately, it's a picture involving debating uh, students and parental permissions and other stuff. I can't share the photo, but I have seen a, a group of school debaters give, I guess, the best example of how to present a speech online they were standing up they had the laptop propped up on boxes so the web camera was at eye height they were four or five paces back from it and they were presenting naturally from cue cards that is how you get points for manner and i, I could see the gestures i've seen a lot of debaters where i know they were doing gestures because i could see the shoulders going up and down but i couldn't mark them for having gestures because i couldn't see their hands it was cropped off by the web camera so but what you were saying that those students were doing is the same thing I've done for my own presentations and speeches at home. And you don't need to have a fancy tripod or camera to stand up and speak. Just, just find box. somewhere to put your computer. As long as it doesn't fall and break. Back. Yeah, yeah. Please don't <laughs> do that. We're not responsible for that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've noticed that speakers seem a lot more confident speaking from home in general. Um, I think yes. they're more going like, people feel not comfortable. Not all of them. Not all Some of them, them definitely, yes, yeah. And I think the other side, like I've been really happy to see people feel more comfortable, so I hope that people can translate that um, when we go back in person. And on the other side, I have seen people that are a bit more nervous. Like it's weird looking at yourself while you're debating. Like that's not something you normally do. I find it weird to see myself as I speak. I don't normally look at my face. Um, but <laughs> just now it's just all minimize I can see. Zoom. Minimize Zoom. It'll still exactly. keep recording you. You don't have to look at yourself. <laughs> so that's um, my tip for debaters. If that is something that is, you know, worrying you a little bit, you can see other people. You can see my face. Uh, you know, zoomed in compared to what you normally would, then, you know, please do minimise that screen and try and make yourself as comfortable as you can in these different circumstances. 
Yeah, I think something that a lot of debaters forget is that even though you're talking on a computer, you're still obviously making a speech. And so people just talk to their computer. They Sometimes they speak very softly, very mumbly, and it's just like they're talking to their friends. So and I they think- read off their screen. Exactly. You can, you can, um, I think sometimes people think they might be being a bit smart by doing that. We can't see it. We can totally see if you're reading, if you're just reading it and you're not giving us eye contact either, because if you're reading it, even if, it's, even if it was just a cue card behind your camera, if you never actually look at the webcam or the camera, whatever it is, you're not giving us any eye contact. And obviously tech issues will change things, but I'm referring to when people are forgetting that or trying to forget maybe that you still need to deliver a speech to your audience even if it's kilometers away it's still you've got to try and talk to them directly but i also really agree with um jackie that some components of manner have improved i think it might be because you're speaking you know the amount of projection that our speakers need to do is less because they're speaking to a device rather than projecting out through a room so i've really enjoyed that like that increase of quality with tone and consistency of um, tone and even pace at times. That being said, we aren't being super, super harsh during this time because we understand that different people have access to different things. Yeah, we are required to take into account the fact that it's online when adjudicating. Do not worry about that. You are not yeah. disadvantaged by the fact that we're on Zoom or Teams or Meet or WebEx insert online communication app here yes but we are looking at manner a bit differently so where before we could perhaps see you know if you were pacing around the room or if you were gesturing to the left or right where we can't see that anymore we are focusing a lot on how you're using vocal cues to move us through your speech or to emphasize a point and we're focusing a lot on your facial expressions right are you using your eyebrows when you're stressing a very important point is your face reflecting that yeah so those sorts of things might be it, this might be a chance for our speakers to work on specifically their voice and their facial expression please if you have any questions about this or if there's anything you'd like a crack team of advanced and expert adjudicators to discuss on a future episode of Points of Information. As always, please send it through to publications at dav.com.au. Oh, I have a last comment. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> I just want to say well done to all you kiddos, students, maybe not kiddos out there who are still... <laughs> you know, proactively engaging with debating during this time. Motivation during COVID is a really tricky thing. And the fact that you still want to sit in front of your laptop and research and write speeches and talk to people is great. It's awesome. We love it. Completely agree. Especially for those that are going at late o'clock at night. Excellent. So that's all we've got. Thank you for listening. I hope you uh, have something to take away from this very interesting look at how secret topics have changed in the online debating world. Good luck with your upcoming debates. Bye. 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 Bye.